Good to see everybody out this morning. Good to be back. Uh, I want to thank Steve for filling in for me last week. I'm sure he did a great job. And uh, we survived another anniversary. And uh, we're back, working on the next year. So, 46 years, is that right? 46 years of marriage. And so, uh, we're going to try to set a record. But we'll see. We've been talking in the last few times that I preached uh, things that God does. We know that God cares about us. We looked at a particular scripture there that tells us that we can cast all our cares upon Him for He cares for us. And so we know that, or He cares for you, and we know that God does care for us. We looked at another passage of scripture uh, talking about God reigns, and that is uh, Psalm chapter 46 and verse 10, where it tells us to be still and know that I am God. There are times in our lives that our life can become so busy or so chaotic that we need to sit back and stop and take time to realize that God is still in control, that He is watching over us and that He does really care for us. And today I want to look at the subject of God saves. You see, there's a lot of people in this world that believe that they're unworthy of salvation. They've done something that's so bad, or maybe that no one loves them, no one cares about them, and they've grown up that way, and perhaps their parents were abusive, and maybe their parents did not show the love that they should have. And so they continue in life thinking that no one loves them or no one cares. And I'm sure that we've seen parents who love their children, who would go to battle for their children, that if someone was doing something to that child, they would do whatever was necessary to protect that child. And that's God. God cares about us. He loves us. And we cannot do something that is so bad that He cannot save us. Because He loves us. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Because in the passage of Scripture that Rodney read for us, it shows us that God loves us and that Jesus died for our sins so that we could be healed, so that we could have that guilt removed, so that we could have that pain of sin removed from our lives, and so that that slate would be wiped clean and we can start afresh. And that as a Christian, the blood of Christ will continually cleanse us when we repent of our sins and confess that sin to God. He is faithful and just to forgive us of that sin as it tells us in 1 John chapter 1. But we also see in that passage of Scripture that Rodney read for us the love of God that He had for us. And it's kind of similar to what we learn in John chapter 3 and verse 16 where it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. In that single act of Jesus dying on the cross, God is telling us that He wants us and all of mankind to be His, to be a part of His family, to live with Him in His house. In fact, the Bible tells us that if we're faithful to our Lord, that He's gone and prepared a place for us so that we can be with Him for eternity. Can you imagine that? Could you imagine family coming over and staying at your house the rest of your life? That would be difficult for us, wouldn't it? We want company to come, but we also want company to go. But God says, I want you to come to my house and I want you to live eternally with me forever. What a privilege and a blessing that is to know that Jesus loved us so much that He died on the cross and that we can belong to Him. And now that's what the Bible is telling us. And that doesn't 
And that just does not seem normal to us. That God would love us so much that He would send His Son to die on a cross for you and me. So the question I wanted to ask this morning is why does God love us? Why does He love us that much? The Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Romans chapter 10 or 3 and verse 10, it tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. And so Paul is telling us there when he's talking about the Gentiles and the Jews, that would involve all of us, that no one is good enough. That we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That there is no one that's righteous. And we're undeserving of salvation, but yet God offers it to us because He loves us. In fact, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, it says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. That passage of Scripture is kind of amazing when you think about it. We were enemies. Enemies are someone that opposes the other side. And so we were opposing God. We were acting opposite of what God wanted us to be and to do. And when you think about that, that meant that we were enemies of God, but yet He still loved us enough that He wanted us saved. What do you think about when you think about your enemies? What do we think about when we think about the enemies of our country? Do we want them to prosper? Do we want them to succeed? No, but God wants us to. Being alienated from God because of sin. God wants you and I to be saved. You see, God is righteous. We are not. So why should He love us? It seems that even the world agrees with that thought. Back in 1968, there was a movie that was out called 2001 A Space Odyssey. Maybe you remember it. But the author of that story, who was Arthur C. Clarke, made this comment about God. If there are any gods whose chief concern is man... They can't be very important gods. In other words, a real God wouldn't bother Himself with weak and flawed mortals like us. A real God couldn't love people like us. There are many people out in the world that think like that. Do you realize... That there are many world religions that agree with that kind of thought. Love in some religions is reserved only for those who deserve it. Only those who are nice people. If you look at the Hindus, they have many books and many gods, but amongst their thousands of gods... There isn't a single one that would love you. The Muslims have the Koran, and it tells about Allah. But Allah is an impersonal God who really isn't known for loving people. 
You can look at the Buddhists. They have their book. But Buddhists don't actually believe that there is a God, let alone a God that would love you. And all the religions of the world have their gods, but their gods don't really love people unless those people are worthy of that God's love. When we look at the New Testament, when we look at the Old Testament, when we look at God's Word, the Bible is literally covered with many passages of Scripture that shows us that God loves us. We've talked about two of them already, but you can go from the cover to cover and you can find multitude of verses that talk about how much God loved His people, how much He loves us, and how much He loves the world, those that don't love Him back. We sing songs about the love of God. Little children sing, Jesus loves me. It's in our songbook. We sing it occasionally. And what does it say? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. That's why we know that God loves us and God cares for us. And God wants us to be saved. Even the most vile person, God wants them to be saved. He wants them to change. But He wants them to be a part of His family. And it's really amazing to know that the God of this universe loves me. And that He loves you. And He loves us very deeply. You look at passages of the Scriptures like Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3. It says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. God loves us with an everlasting love. How many weddings have you been to? I know that there are several that I've performed. Where a couple stands in front of everyone... And they proclaim their love for each other. And when they talk about that love, it is going to be a love that lasts until death do they part. It's a never-ending love. And then somewhere down the line, they divorce. Because they no longer love each other. They pledged an endless love, but they didn't live up to it. God pledges an endless, everlasting love, and He's demonstrated it all through the Bible. His love for mankind. God's love is a promise that He's going to keep and has kept. It is an everlasting love. Jesus talks about love in His sermons. He said in Luke chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. We look out there in the, in, out the window nowadays. It's that time of year. Birds are starting to gather and they're starting to get ready to go to a warmer place. I don't blame them. 
But you see all those birds, and sometimes there's birds that we we admire and we look at. You know, one of the boys yesterday said, "Look, there's a blue jay out the window." And how many of us run to the window and look for a sparrow, or even call somebody to the window to look at a sparrow? And the Bible tells us that not a sparrow falls to the ground without God taking notice of it. And we are of much more value than a group of sparrows. In fact, He knows so much about you that He can tell you how many hairs are on your head. And He can do the math when they start falling out too. He knows. That's how much God cares about you and me. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus gave a parable, three parables in that particular chapter. And in the first part of that, <clears throat> in the first part of that chapter, we see where he talks about the parable of the shepherd who left the 99 in search of that one that had gone astray, that was lost, that needed to be brought back. And then we see after that parable, he speaks another one concerning a woman who lost a coin in her house. And she swept diligently until she found that coin. And in both cases, when that sheep was found and when that coin was found, there was great rejoicing. And then he closes out with those three of the third parable with the prodigal son. The son who came to him and told him he wanted his inheritance and he was given his inheritance, and then he went off and wasted it in a faraway place. And when he came to himself, he was in a pig pen feeding pigs, which was a disgrace for a Jewish child or a Jewish person. But when he came to himself, he realized that in his father's house, they were much better off than he was. And he decided to go home. He was going to tell his father that he was no longer worthy to be called a son, that he would just be a hired servant. But you know the story, you know the father, it appears, is watching for his son to come home. And when he sees his son in a faraway place, in a faraway distance, he runs to his son. He doesn't wait for him to get to the house. He runs to him. Did that son deserve his love? No. But that father ran to him, kissed him, hugged him, put shoes on his feet, a robe, and a ring on his finger. He loved him. Did he deserve it? No. But that demonstrates God's love to us, and that's what Jesus is trying to point out. That God loves us, and over and over and over again, Jesus drove home that truth that God loves you. And God loves me. <clears throat> in fact, in the Old Testament, we find a quotation, or we find the passage that's quoted in Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 15. But in Isaiah chapter 52, beginning in verse 7, there we find a couple of verses that tell us about this love. It says, Behold, beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, and publishes peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that saith on Zion, Thy God reigneth. That verse declares how much we please God when we talk about His salvation. 
In fact, Jesus has told us as Christians to go out into all the world and preach the Gospel. That's the good news. That good news of salvation. That good news that Jesus died for our sins, that He was buried and that He rose victorious over the grave. He did that because He loves us. And He wants us to go and tell the world about that. And when we come in contact with people, we need to share that message with others. They need to hear that good news. And that's what Jesus is telling us, and that's what Isaiah is telling us here in Isaiah chapter 52. But then He goes on, and it says in the beginning of verse 8, Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice. With a voice together shall they sing. For they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Break forth unto joy, sing together, ye waste place of Jerusalem. For the Lord hath comforted His people, He hath redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord hath made bare His holy arm. In the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. You read that passage of Scripture, and I want you to notice what it says. That God bears His holy arm. Now there's a picture there that Isaiah wants us to see and wants us to recognize. And I think that we understand that. Because as I mentioned, you know, there are times in our lives when we were little that perhaps the neighbor kid was picking on us or somebody else was picking on us and mom had to step in or dad had to step in. And when you got them riled up, you knew that somebody was going to be in trouble. And that's kind of what it's saying here. God's bearing His arms. He's kind of rolling up His sleeves. Because then we look at verses 16 and 17, and it says, And He saw that there was no man and wondered, that there was no intercessor. Therefore His arm brought salvation unto Him, and His righteousness is sustained Him. For He put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation upon his head, and he put on the garments of vengeance for, for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. God's getting ready for battle. Now then down in verse 20, it says, And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgressions in Jacob, saith the Lord. What are these passages of Scripture showing us? The passages speak of God's interceding for us because there was no one else to do it. There was no one else here or anywhere else that could bring about your salvation and my salvation so God had to act Himself. And so He dressed for war. You say, well, what kind of war? Think about that. There was a battle going on. God talked about it in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 that the devil would be delivered a crushing blow to his head and his foot, Jesus' foot, would be bruised. You see that there's a battle going on because the devil is tempting Jesus, trying to get him to turn away from God. And violate the purpose that He came to this world to do or to accomplish in the first place. And then you can see all of the times that the Sadducees 
and the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers all tried to stop Jesus and put Him in His place. And there was a battle going on. And then you see Him in the garden in agony asking His disciples to come with Him. And they sleep. And He's in agony. And He's in pain. And He's asking if there's some other way to let it happen. But there was no other way. You think the devil wanted Jesus to accomplish what he, was, what he came here to do? No, there was a battle going on. And God was going to win. And it talks about He put on His armor. Think about His armor. Righteousness. Salvation. Vengeance. And zeal. God is righteous. He is zealous. He is salvation. He is all of these things. He's vengeance. That's what He is. But there's a picture that Isaiah wants us to see that God's going to go to battle for you and me because He loves us. He's kind of rolling up His sleeves because He's serious. He bare His arms to be our redeemer he bore his or bared his holy arm in psalm chapter 8 verses 3 and 4 we're told when i consider thy heavens the work of thy fingers the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visiteth him when you look at nature, you look at all these things that are around us. I don't know if anyone else noticed, you'd have to be almost blind to not see all the beautiful colors out there this morning when you came to the building. They just seem so bright. But that's the fingers of God that accomplished that. He did that with His fingers. Well, the point is, it was effortless. For Him to create this world and this universe that we live in. And when you look at all the things that He created and all the things that He controls, it's easy to become overwhelmed and to think that, you know, who am I that God would be mindful of me? But He cared enough for me and you he sent his son to die. You see, he created those heavens. And when Jesus came to die for us, God rolled up his sleeves and prepared for war. And he put on his armor of righteousness, salvation, vengeance, and zeal. Why would he do that? Because he loves us. And that's the picture that we see in Scripture, that God loved us so much that He went to battle. He went to war. And He loved us so much that He rolled up His sleeves and bared His holy arm. And He loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son. And He did all of that for us. That's the good news. But now the question is, what difference does that make? What difference does it make 
that God loved us that much. And I think that it comes down to what we read in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, because he starts off talking about our condition before we became a Christian. Beginning in verse 1, he says, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in times past we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the powers of the air, the spirit that now worketh in children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. What's Paul saying? That we were just like everybody else. That we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That there's none of us that are righteous enough that we don't need the blood of Christ. That we were in that condition that those people out there in the world may still be in. That was us. But then in verse 4 it says, But God who was rich in mercy... For His great love wherewith He loved us even when we were dead in sin hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. God looked out there and He saw us. He saw all mankind, how wicked, how awful we were. And He still loved us enough that He sent His Son so that we could be made alive. You see, when we're in the world, when we live a sinful life, we're considered dead. And that quickening that's used there in the King James Version means we're brought to life. We're made alive when we are obedient to the Gospel. And so when we were in that wicked state, God still loved us enough and shed His grace on us enough so that you and I could have salvation. Why didn't He just give a blanket salvation to everybody? Because He wants you to want it also. He wants you to have that desire to follow Him. He's not going to force any of us to follow And believe me, if He wanted to force us, He has the power to do that. Just like Jesus said, you know, I can call thousands of angels down to fight for me. But He was here to do His Father's will and that's what He was going to go about doing. So while we were dead in our sins, God decided to save us. And you and I weren't worth saving. And there was nothing that you and I could do to earn a place in heaven. Did you catch what it said there in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 16? And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. He knew that there was no one here on this earth that could save us. And so He had to do it Himself. He could find no one to intervene. No one that could fix what was wrong with our lives. He couldn't find anyone to save us. And so He came and did it Himself. So not only could you and I not earn salvation, no one else could earn it for us. And it was by God's grace that we have been saved by His goodness 
in offering a plan so that you and I could have our sins forgiven, a relationship with God, and a home in heaven in the hereafter. You see, you and I are saved only because of the great love that God has for us. And if God hadn't loved us and interceded for us, we would never get to heaven. We couldn't make it there. And it wouldn't be a matter of how much, it wouldn't matter how much you believed or repented or confessed and were baptized. There was nothing you and I could do or could have done to expect to have eternal life. We only do those things, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized because that's what God's grace has told us we need to do in order to be saved. We simply couldn't have been good enough to be good enough to rise to heaven after death. It takes the blood of Christ. So yeah, I could grab you and dunk you in the water and say, yeah, you're saved. But if you don't believe, if you're not going to repent, if you're not going to confess Christ, if you're not going to believe what God's done for us, it's not going to do you any good to get dumped in the water. And frankly, that's a good thing, really, when you think about it. Because despite what many people think, none of us deserve heaven. Oh, you see, we could look out there and we may find some very sinful, wicked people. We could say they don't deserve it. But the Scripture said none of us are righteous. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So how many sins does it take for us to be lost? One. And so we need to take care of that. And a lot of people are going to be surprised on the Day of Judgment. Because there's also a lot of people who believe that they are deserving of nothing from God. And that very idea that God would want to save them or that God even loves them is amazing to them. And for the true Christian, there's the knowledge that the only way that they can ever have a chance for heaven was because God loved them so much that He was willing to come down to this from heaven and give us the opportunity to change our lives. And that's what Jesus tells us to do. We are to take that good news, that good message of salvation to the world. Let them hear that message. And when they believe that message, then they can be baptized into Christ. That's what Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, and 16. And that's what we see proclaimed on the day of Pentecost when the church began. Because up until that point, it was, in, it was talked about in the future, but in Acts chapter 2, we see that the church was established because the Lord added them to the church daily, such as should be saved. And what did they have to do when they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
Well, you say, well, it doesn't say they had to believe. They believed that message when they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Because Peter told them what they had done, that by wicked hands they had crucified Christ. That Christ, that word means the Messiah, the Savior. They crucified the Savior of the world. They believed that message. And they wanted to know what they needed to do. So they needed to turn from that rebellion and turn and put their trust and faith in God. And then be buried with our Lord in baptism. And have your sins washed away. That's what they did and that's what you need to do. Think about what Jesus has done for you. Think about what God has done for, for you. And yes, He cares for us. And yes, He reigns. And He does all of those things because He cares for us. And He loves us. And He wants you and I to be in heaven. But you have to want to go there yourself. You say, well, I do, but I'd rather put it off until the last possible moment. Because then I think i got a better chance. I was thinking about that as I worked on this sermon about, you know, why do we put it off? Do you know how close to death you come every single day? You say, well, I'm healthy and, and everything's good. Do you get in your car and do you drive down the road? You, have you ever noticed that little yellow line? It doesn't stop people from coming over. Do you realize how close to death you come every single day of your life? And think about all the other things that we do in life that we jeopardize our lives. But we just kind of take life for granted that we're always going to have a tomorrow. And for many, that tomorrow never comes. And that's why the Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Because we have no promise of tomorrow. So this morning, if you're not a Christian, think about what God's done for you. And how He's made a way so that you could have salvation. And so that you could live with Him eternally forever in His house. And if you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row. If you have questions, I'm more than happy to answer those questions. If there's an answer, we'll find it in the Bible. If you need to study, I'm more than happy to study with you. Because I want people to hear that good news about what Jesus did for them. And so this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, please do so. You can come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.